Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Product Marketing Life podcast, which is brought to you by Product Marketing Alliance. My name's Bryony Pierce, and I'm the content manager here at PMA. This week's podcast is sponsored by Product Marketing World. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure of hitting up one of their events yet, Product Marketing World runs product marketing summits all over the world. In each city, they unite hundreds of product marketers and put together lineups including speakers from companies like Google, Uber, Twitter and Yahoo, to name just a few. To see if they're coming to a city near you, head over to their site, productmarketingworld.com. As part of this series, we're connecting with product marketers all over the world to speak about topics they're super passionate about. And in this episode, we'll be speaking to Bree Bunzel, the APAC product marketing lead at Dropbox, about customer listening. Bree first joined Dropbox in August 2017, and in that time, she's built the company's first global customer advisory and advocacy programs. We'll explore both of these more throughout the podcast, but for now, welcome to the show, Bree. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, I guess, could we just kick off with a bit of an introduction to Dropbox and then your role within the company? So Dropbox is currently a leading collaboration platform, and our mission is to design a more enlightened way of working. Back when our founder, Drew, had been sitting on a bus and he forgot his thumb drive over a three-hour drive and realized there's got to be a better way to save and manage and work on files uh, remotely. And so from there, developed Dropbox. And since then, we've evolved to not only file storage and collaboration, but moving more into this space where we're able to interact with different teams, different colleagues all over the world, wherever you are. I like that story for how the business came about. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> so then kind of the main topic of this podcast is obviously customer listening. Can you tell us a bit about the types of customer listening you do at Dropbox? Would you say it's more online, offline, a blend of both? Or? So before I jump into the actual listening methods, I think one of the things that we were off trying to figure out was that several years ago, McKinsey did a study that found that if you add up tasks that you do throughout a day, like finding information, sifting through email, coordinating people, what we call work about work, it actually takes up 60% of your time, which only leaves 40% of the time that you're actually spent doing the work you're supposed to do, the meaningful, impactful work. And we realized this was a big opportunity at Dropbox to create a better way of working. And we've been building up programs to better listen and solve some of these big challenges. So online, we've got social listening in product. We've got customer support, phone chat. Offline, we've also come up with a lot of different programs to better interact and listen to those customers. So we have something called Real World Wednesdays, which is every Wednesday we bring in customers to headquarters to have them run by different ideas and topics and get their thoughts and feedback. We do user research. We also do customer visits. And lastly, what we're building out more recently is a customer community and building out advocates for the company. Nice. I like that real, real world Wednesday. How long has that been going on for? Yeah, it's several years. And it's, it's just a great opportunity that you just know there's such a vibe when you bring in customers in the office. They get so excited and they start to feel like extensions of your company. Like a lot of our employees have so much joy coming to work every day. And when you get to bring customers into that environment, it's absolutely contagious. And it makes you realize why you do what you do. I think when you're sitting behind a screen all day long, you start to forget that there's an end user with an, a specific problem or a challenge that you're solving for. And it makes it so much more meaningful and impactful where you can build personas and actually solve for someone like Beth's needs um, versus just user number one. Um, that's not the way that we operate. And in fact, actually recently, 
Dropbox created a whole new set of company values. So we had had an existing number of values that were set out and only recently is the first time we've changed them. And one of the values is making work human, which is really all about making sure there's a human element and interaction and insight into everything that we're doing. Yeah. And I guess it works both ways as well. So you're saying like, from your perspective, it puts um, a name, a face to a name, sorry. But then from the customer's perspective, like it's easy to see a company, like you don't see a company, you just see this online screen, you don't put a person behind it. But then from their perspective, they can put um, names to faces as well, which I guess is nice. And I know we mentioned at the start that you created this customer advocacy program, but I guess in a way that will feed and help in with that. Absolutely. Exactly right. <laughs> And then, so all these initiatives then, like you mentioned a few just then, who else is involved with that as well as product marketing or does it just sit with, within your function? It actually doesn't sit within product marketing. It's a cross-functional okay. effort. So it's one where anyone, for Real World Wednesdays at least, um, that's one where people across product, typically driven by product, are building out user research of sorts in the actual office itself. And that can be anyone from someone in product marketing to someone in engineering building out the product to someone in user research who's trying to understand more details. And typically what we'll do is we'll send out, you know, here are the key customers that are coming this week. Here's the actual audience because you have to understand like what specifically, what group you're solving for because Dropbox solves for a lot of different Mm -hmm. sizes and needs. And then from there, we actually build out, you know, what does the actual day look like? Who are we talking with? Usually it's scrappy prototypes, which I love most. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's pretty and polished. It's like, here's a piece of paper with this drawing of what we've (laughs) evolved our screens to look like or our experience or, you know, the way that you collaborate with someone to look like, what are your thoughts? And and we love that concept of low fidelity prototypes. And I'll get into that a little bit later, Um, but it makes it a lot easier to quickly vet whether something's resonating or not with a customer and then be able to optimize from there. Okay, cool. And then you mentioned off air that you've been building these customer advisory boards over the last year. Can you just kind of talk us through that process and how you went about it? And then what that actually looks like for you now in practice. So we actually started out, like I mentioned earlier, as a company focused on file sync and share solution. And now that we've evolved to this collaboration platform, we've also been able to broaden our impact, not only to customers, but to businesses and bigger organizations. And we realized there was an opportunity to learn more about this group. There's a lot of complexities with how you collaborate with massive teams And there's obviously nuances by vertical, by company size, by the way the org structure is set up. And we just didn't have enough answers to what we actually needed to realize we needed to build. So a few years ago, we started our first customer advisory board program. And they're done at a lot of different companies in a lot of different ways. But for us specifically at Dropbox, we see it as a listening post for some of our key regions to bring our top customers in to provide their insight on future ways of working, feedback on their experience using our tools, our products, our support, and also reactions to things like our forward-facing roadmap. So they sign an NDA. They're able to come in and see things that we haven't even launched. Like I said before, these low-fidelity prototypes, it can be something as simple as a mock-up screen and say, hey, this is the direction we're thinking of heading. What do you think? And that actually informs a lot of the direction for product. And it's something that's so valuable as well because we've got a lot of executives that attend and product owners that attend uh, that actually can go back and make change. They can take those insights and bring it back to the team and say, here's a key challenge I heard and we need to go solve. How do we go about doing that? And one of the things I love most about the program as well is that 
from this, you're starting to create these stronger connections with customers, building out customer references and stories, and start having these customers share your stories, not only on a regional, but a global level. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, this program is built so that customers feel heard, that we are making sure they feel invested, uh, that we're invested in solving their current and future challenges. And it's also an opportunity for them to get together and know one of each other. Like I think a lot of these people in the room are CTOs, CIOs, they're super busy. They don't have time to connect. And it's actually nice to create this forum where they can meet with other peers in the industry and say, hey, I'm also struggling with you know, all these different tools that we're using in the organization. How are you solving it? And what you find is there's actually just so much benefit to even someone who's five years down the track versus someone who's just starting out and how they can share learnings with one another. So we find that really valuable with the program. Yeah. And then in terms of when you were actually setting up the customer advisory board, like how did you find kind of getting customers on board? Like were people generally quite receptive or did you have to incentivize them or? I'm actually always surprised to find out most customers are really open to talking to you. And you just kind of start with, you know, hey, we're looking to get your feedback. We know you're using the product a ton or we know that it's a big part of your organization and the way that you collaborate. And we actually don't need to incentivize them. People love sharing their stories and how they're using your product or they always have their two cents on things you need to improve, but we're all ears. And we've actually found that it's also good for their own professional development and growth. So especially in these bigger organizations, the people we talk to are reliant on being knowledge experts in not only tools like Dropbox, but also future trends and future ways of working. And so the more knowledge they gain in these forums and the more interactions they have with people like us, the more that they can then influence the products internally in their organizations. And what we've also found is that a lot of these people eventually want to go into board type roles in their future career. So it's a nice stepping stone for them to get involved. So it's actually more of an incentive for them than we realized. And that's actually something we spent a lot of time in the early days building out this program, trying to figure out is defining the why. Why do these people actually come to this? Why do they invest their time? What's in it for them? What's in it for Dropbox? And setting those table stakes at the beginning really make a different experience and conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, and what we actually used and leveraged as we built the program is design thinking principles, which is basically a framework to take customer insights and build them into action. And what we found is we're getting all this feedback, but we're not sure what to do with it. And so building out a program like this requires some sort of framework to say, here's everything we've heard in each of our different locations around the world. Here are some of the trends that we've seen most commonly. Here may be the most exciting elements of what people love out of a program like this, and maybe the least energizing. And how do you actually start to build and evolve a program based on those emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest learning I've had from this program, not only learning design thinking and building a framework for such, but being able to actually see how these customer insights can be taken to build a product. And, and that process seems very almost loose or hard to even get your head down to figure out what is the, what is the next step once you hear all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really exciting to be on that journey to start taking that and influencing the way that we build our product for now and in the future. Yeah, for sure. And then how often would you say you get your customer advisory board together? So currently how it is today is we've got one customer advisory board in each region around the world in person. So we've got locations in Sydney and Tokyo, San Francisco, New York, and London. 
and those represent those regions. So even if a customer is going to London, they may be based in Dublin or Tel Aviv or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And those in-person interactions are the most important ones because that's where a lot of the connection, the networking, the conversation, the in-person connections happen. And then what we also are working on building this year is to turn it more into a program in which people are meeting more frequently outside of just that once a year mark. So whether it be with the regional Dropbox employees that are actually building out the local relevance, or maybe it's on a virtual webinar of sorts where they're interacting with our product team in HQ to say, hey, we've got this cool new feature, what do you think? It's really just starting to build this program where there's this VIP feel and community and from one another, they can also start to learn more about their experiences and their challenges, and they can connect even offline without Dropbox involved. That's kind of where we see it ideally heading. Mm -hmm. And then how many people do you have kind of within each region within a customer advisory board? Yeah. So the way we like to do it is actually pretty intimate. We do pick, there's a lot of ways to pick your audience for customer advisory boards. It can be cut by highest engaged users, biggest companies, um, biggest companies giving the most revenue, uh, a lot of different verticals maybe that you're focused on for the year. You can cut it a number of different ways. I think for us in particular, I think we did want to go after our bigger customers, like I mentioned, because we were moving towards a business-related product and we wanted to understand how larger organizations were using it. In terms of the actual audience in the room, though, it's really important to keep it small. What we found is that when customers in a group are over 20, people, it starts to feel more like a conference and they're not vulnerable. They're not authentic. They can't share their challenges or maybe it starts to feel like Dropbox needs to have more of a polished presentation. And while we want to show up strong, I think the other piece of it is being open and saying, this is just a mock-up. Like I said earlier, this is just a mock-up. We don't know. We could invest in this or we couldn't invest in this. What do you actually think is a better use of our resources and our time? And so what we found now is around 10 to 12 is the sweet spot for customer advisory boards where we've got, you know, definitely more customers in the room than Dropboxers. So we have a chance to listen and for them to more interact with each other than us just speaking at them. And that was one of the biggest learnings we had this past year. I think one of the big interesting things of companies is we, you'll hear a lot of companies say, we listen, we love listening to customers and then they spend the whole time talking. (laughs) It happens all the time. And I even saw it early days as we were doing it. And so we've architected a program in which there's a lot more time spent on listening than actually speaking. Yeah. And then, so if I, like, if you don't mind sharing, how does it actually work? So on the day of these, um, these kind of meetups, what is the flow like? Is it a full day event or is it a couple of hours? And then like, how will you try and structure those meetups? So as part of the design thinking research process to learn more about customer listening, I actually did an exercise where I interviewed lots of customer advisory board organizers like myself at other companies. And I also interviewed people who attend customer advisory boards for big businesses at other companies. And there's a lot of best practices that I learned and some that are consistent and some that are varying. So for example, the day itself, there's some companies that do a three-day conference where they fly them out to some remote location and have them all have almost a trip and experience out of it. And and other companies have just an afternoon of the experience. We're more in the earlier days of building out our customer advisory board. And so we have found that a half day works really nicely. It doesn't feel like it's a full day of commitment where these CIOs or CTOs are taken out of their office. And it's enough time to get the impact of 
insights that we'd love to have, the connection we want to develop with them, uh, and, and also just the chance for them to provide meaningful engagement without getting too tired or exhausted. And I think over time, we'll probably start testing whether we can make that longer, maybe extend it beyond a day. But we found that this is kind of the sweet spot. You can kind of get a lot done in that time while still having enough ample time for networking and connections. So half day works best for us. Mm-hmm. And then how do you go about, so now you mentioned you have these advisory boards all over the world. Do you kind of, how do you go about the knowledge sharing afterwards? Like, will you kind of confer with people in London and see how theirs went? Like, how does that work? So we try to keep a few of the core team consistent in every single cab. So customer advisory board, as we call it. But I've got myself and a few other teammates who attend each of them. And we actually take copious notes during our customer advisory board events. We learned not to record or video them. What we found is the customers actually feel uncomfortable being recorded and they're less open to sharing. Mm -hmm. And so we take copious notes. We actually spend a lot of time debriefing. So we have a formal debrief set up the next day with everyone in the room who attended to make sure that we all leave with the exact same story, takeaways, and action items for various teams. What we found is we didn't do a great debrief the first time we did it, and everyone left with a different takeaway. And so you want to make sure there's a consistent story and, and learnings happening. Um, and then post-event, what we actually do is we create a key executive summary of everything that was learned, and that get, gets shared with all the key executives that attended, and they're responsible for sharing it out to their teams. And then we also do... Uh, share out where I kind of go on the road and share to different teams. Here's the things that we learn. Here are the things that we should now be focused on. And we do compare and contrast. There's definitely themes that you'll hear consistent with a lot of customer advisory boards in different regions. And there are ones that are completely nuanced. So for example, in Japan, there's a lot of unique cases that have nothing to do with the feedback that happens in other regions, Mm -hmm. but those are specific regional needs that we take into consideration. Uh, We also are working on an internal wiki of sorts where it's a one-stop shop for all insights so that any team at any part of Dropbox can go in and learn what we heard on the road and that gets shared more broadly with the organization. Mm -hmm. And then how much do you share with the customers that attended afterwards so they kind of get exclusive insights into you know your feedback will result in this later down the year or how much do you give away? Yeah that's actually one of the biggest criteria of success for us is making sure that they feel heard and understood and that we're actually following up on their feedback. Cause the last thing you want to do is go into a room and say, we're here to listen to you and take on your feedback and then never follow up on it. Right. You don't want a helicopter in and out. And so we've been working really hard on building that feedback loop. So one of the things that we've done is partnered even closer with our engineering team. And I think getting a key sponsor, executive sponsor on the product team is really important to a program like this because they're able to then champion all the insights that come out of these customer advisory boards and actually prioritize them. So one of the big things that we do is we do share a summary out that's customer facing that's shared with customers to say, hey, here's all the great things that we heard from you. Thank you so much for that feedback. We're going to take it on board and we'll follow up with you over the coming months of how that's prioritized. And then we have these check-ins with, we have CSMs or customer success managers that manage these specific customer relationships, and they have an ongoing connection with them to share updates. Mm -hmm. And then what we're very conscious of is we're actually finishing out our first loop. So we're having upcoming up in New York in a week, our second customer advisory board. And what we're doing is we're starting off the session by saying, here's everything we heard from you last year. Here's all the key themes heard. 
here's what things have actually been developed and progressed and here are things that we're still working on, almost like a red, yellow, green progress chart. And that actually makes them feel heard. And, and what we found is even if it's not a priority for the year, the fact that you acknowledged that it was heard, but it, it wasn't prioritized among these other things is still enough for these people to feel like their time was well valued. And then another thing that I've kind of built a picture up over these podcasts is I know a lot of product marketers seem to struggle with internal knowledge sharing. So they know, for example, the sales teams and the customer success teams, they're sitting on all these insights from their kind of interactions, but they just can't seem to extract it and the teams aren't forthcoming. Like how do you say drop boxes with internal knowledge sharing and how do you find those relationships with the teams that have that kind of insight? I think it's always a work in progress. Like you said, I think every company does not have internal knowledge sharing mastered. And what you find, especially as I've seen with Dropbox going from the startup feel more to a bigger organization is the existing ways that you may share knowledge don't work as you get bigger. So one of the big things at Dropbox, we have a big reply all culture where everyone just chimes in on a big launch and then everyone's replying all saying great work. And it's super exciting and exhilarating. But at the same time, it starts to devalue or take away from the actual content itself when there's a ton of launch emails or insight emails happening. And so one of the things we're doing is starting to consolidate a lot of the communication across the different teams. So there's a specific way that you share information out to the regional team, to a uh, HQ team. Uh, we have lots of company all hands and regional all hands. So that's actually a big central source of truth for a lot of the knowledge sharing. And then we're also consolidating a lot of the big updates of what we're hearing around insights to uh, bi-monthly. And so instead of getting an email every day on a different research project that's been done in a different corner of the company, it's consolidated. And, and what we're hoping to find from that is from there, the research is also shared and almost you can see key themes coming up versus just these one-off conversations happening. So we're still working on it. And I think, like I said before, one of the things like having an internal Wikipedia and database that people can always reference um, for insights ongoing as they go about their projects is one one-stop shop way of handling and solving for that. I think sometimes you get, you know, a re an update of specific research that was done and it's not relevant for you today, but maybe in a month you're mm -hmm. working on a project that actually relates to it. So I think we're going to be working to figure out how to funnel more people to that insights page ongoing. Yeah, for sure. And then next up, can you think of any mistakes around customer listening that you commonly hear or see product marketers making that you kind of advise people to avoid? I, I mentioned this a bit before. People don't know how to listen well enough. There's a lot of interviews that I see where people go in and say, okay, we want to hear from you. We want all your feedback. And while they're interviewing them, they're actually talking the entire time and not listening. And I think it's almost one of these like human psychology elements of just awkwardness where people don't like awkward silences, but actually if you sit in the silence and you don't fill the space, that's sometimes when the best insights come about. And that space is actually when customers can formulate their thoughts in an organized fashion and can share that out. And so one of the biggest things I think is how do we learn to be better listeners? And one of the things I learned from understanding design thinking methodology a bit more is this empathize phase. That first key step of that framework is the most important. And it, within the empathize phase, I think what's really important is there's a framework called energy mapping and journey mapping. And so what you're doing is when you're actually interviewing someone, you are able to map out between a chart of high and low axes, the high energy points where they're getting most excited. They're talking fast, their eyes light up, they're smiling. 
and the moments where they're disappointed or they're sad or they've lost energy. And what you can do between the two of those points is start to map out and hone in on those high points and say, why do you feel that way? And we, we have this thing called the five whys. But if you get, keep asking why, you can actually get to the deeper insight. You know, maybe initially they say, oh, it's easy, but this one little thing. But if you keep digging, you'll actually find out that that little thing's actually some big challenge that they deal with every day that we can help solve for. And so I, I would suggest as well, people learn and research a bit more on how to better listen and interview and also map the interview out as you're going through it so that when you finish an interview and you debrief, you can quickly get to the key things that you need to solve for faster. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And um, then final few questions. So do you have any sort of examples you can share with us of some customer listening success stories? So a change you've made on the back of something that your customers have said to you, and then the results that yielded. So the beauty of a customer advisory board and customer visits is that you are able to have executives and product leaders in the room there. And I've mentioned this before, but it's so important that the right people are in the room. It doesn't help that someone who doesn't own that product is not in there. Like they need to be the ones to take it back to the team and act on it and actually make changes in the product priorities or the roadmap. So for example, in the last year in APAC in Japan, we had a lot of customers that work with government organizations and about a third of our customers weren't able to use Dropbox because there weren't locally data stored. So people weren't able to have their data stored in either Japan or Sydney or Australia. And this was heard in a lot of customer visits as well as our customer advisory board. And the leadership team immediately, as well as the product team, took it back to HQ. And within six months, we were able to have a locally hosted data center in both regions, which was super impactful. Uh, In Japan as well, there is a communication platform called Line or Line Chat. And it's basically a WhatsApp in Japan. But what we found is a lot of people in the organizations that we were interviewing were using that as a source of communication with their colleagues. And we were able to take that insight back. And it's now an integration partner with Dropbox. So you can communicate with Line and collaborate with your teams in Dropbox. And that's something that's super beneficial to a lot of teams, making workflows much more seamless. And the last thing I'll say Also, product marketers usually own messaging and positioning. And in our London cab last year, back in October, we learned we had a better opportunity to solve some of the unique challenges that IT decision makers were facing. So the way that we were speaking about our product helped end users and resonated with end users, but not people who are actually making those big decisions on tools in the organization. Mm -hmm. And so we transformed some of the messaging and the narrative to address the unique challenges for those IT decision makers And in turn, we've had a lot more meaningful conversations with prospects, with customers, because we're solving for their challenges, not just consumer challenges. And so it's it's a lot of different learnings we've had. There's a lot of different examples, but those are a few in particular that have stood out for us. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of you mentioned kind of customer visits there, who does like who does that sit with? Who will actually go out and do those customer visits? We actually have a lot of teams that own customer visits, and I think we're trying to streamline it. Again, this was one thing that as we were a smaller organization, people kind of went out when they wanted to go do research on a specific topic. But what we realized is that it started to get a bit duplicative or overlapping between different teams. So we have a user research team. We have consumer insights uh, that sits in marketing. We've got product teams that have their own design research teams. And we also have local teams when we have customers in town 
bring executives out and visit. So it's, it's not to say that it's completely organized. I think there's a lot of different needs based on a lot of different teams, but what we are doing is trying to streamline that a bit better this year. So let's say we've got a big challenge that we need to face in this specific region, having all those people aligned in one place will make that a lot more easier to organize and also easier to share and report out for the challenges that we need to solve for. Yeah. Okay. And then final question. So you mentioned these customer advisory boards are fairly new to Dropbox. How does it work in terms of, or like, just like the, like people from above, like, do you have OKRs against it? Like, how do you measure the success of implementing these customer advisory boards? So one of the big things that we've been working on, like I said earlier, is really understanding the why. So why do people want to attend? And I think for a lot of customers, we want them to feel special, that they're part of a community, that they have influence on our direction, that they're exposed to the right leadership where they feel important, that their information and the feedback they have is being heard. And I think a lot of what we're also doing on our end is figuring out, you know, is this actually going to, how do we create a feedback loop so it impacts our roadmap, our positioning, our marketing, our messaging. And so there's a lot of different ways that we measure. One of the things that we're doing consistently is a post customer advisory board survey. And so that's done at the end of the experience itself to understand, did they feel heard? Did they feel like their feedback was valued? Are they connecting with the right people? Are we creating an opportunity for them to do that? And then I think one of the things that we're building internally is how do we then start to measure the number of ideas that are accepted and implemented and how engaged are people? Do they want to come back to a customer advisory board in six months time, in a year's time? And that's something that we're building out today is getting better at that measuring piece. And I think now that having a customer advisory board where we have strong product leadership as an executive sponsor and having them being able to champion those insights and actually build it into the product, I think it's a much different experience than a year ago when it was more run by one different you know, product marketing itself. I think you need to have your cross-functional stakeholders involved to truly make it impactful. So we're excited to see the results this year. And I think we've got a better well-oiled machine to make that feedback loop turned into action. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, thank you so much. That's all my questions today. Uh, but it's been really great talking to you and like lots of insights and really useful tips there for everyone. So thank you for that. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, you're welcome. And good luck with your second uh, advisory board in New York in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.